All right, this will do it, maybe. Second Peter chapter 3, we're at verse 11. So we ought to be able to cover these last eight verses today before we go to Joshua next week. Yeah, sure we can. We're going to, let's say that. If we don't, you'll have to study it on your own. We're at verse 11. And uh, last week we looked at the first nine verses uh, of the each, uh, the day of the Lord. Uh, his Peter talking about how the day of the Lord will come. People are uh, rejecting it even in Peter's day scoffing at the idea, it's been so long, why is the Lord delaying? And uh, so he turns in verse 11, and he does, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, since this world is going to be dissolved away, uh, there's this therefore, God's revelation that the end of the world is coming, uh, ought to motivate us as believers we ought to live in a certain way. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So we know that Jesus is returning. Peter's given a pr pretty uh, cataclysmic picture of the end of this world. And uh, with that, with the second coming assured, with this day of judgment coming on all who are not believers, what sort of people ought we who are claiming to be Christians, who are professing Christians, who Christ has brought us into the family, how is it that we're going to live? As we say all the time, or as I say on a regular basis, we're never really told about the second coming just to know, just simply to know without an ethical uh, therefore, so he's saying, since this world is going to end, how should we live? Uh, and again, the, Paul's two classic passages about it in 1 Corinthians 15, I tell you a mystery, we'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we'll be changed then he says, therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. So we do know that Jesus is coming back. We know some, not as much as we think we know, about how it's exactly going to play itself out. And Paul tells us what the Spirit inspires him to tell us. But then there's the therefore. And instead of saying, how or what manner of life ought we to have, as Peter says right here, Paul says, therefore, be steadfast and movable. Your labor is not going to be in vain because there's a day of judgment that our lives will be called into account. You may think that as you live your life as a Christian, you're not making much of a difference. Well, your labor is not in vain. There's a promise from God if you belong to him. Press on. Keep on walking. Uh, uh, you know, you don't know. It's a Dogwood song from the 70s. You don't know if the Father's not standing up right now to give the call for Christ to return. 
We don't know when it'll happen. It may be, we don't know. But in the meantime, we're to live that way. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 talks about the rapture, what we call the rapture of the church. My be- he said, for Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them to meet with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The uh, Tyndall family needs comfort in this midst of this. But here, one day, the dead in Christ will be raised. And those who are alive when it happens will all be caught up together and be present with the Lord forever and ever. That's encouragement. We know this, so we encourage one another with these truths. Well, here in Second Peter, verse 11, since all these things are to be dissolved, and that's what he talked about in verse 10. Well, let's look at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So the heavens will pass away, the heavenly bodies will be burned up, dissolved, the earth and its works will be found out. All the works will be exposed, will be laid bare. And then... Since all these things are to be dissolved, since we are part of God's creation uh, and man will be dealt with in this cataclysmic way at the end, that when the destruction takes place, we'll meet our creator and our judge. We'll all be face to face. And since that's so, and until the day of judgment, God grants this period that we live in, a period of grace, where we might uh, consider the questions of life that really matter. Uh, So what sort of people ought you to be? There's the ethic. What sort of people... Are we uh, morally obligated to live before this God whom we will meet face to face? What's it going to be like? What are the issues? How do we know that the fire is not going to burn us up? You know, I know for uh, Muslim theology... You just hope that you do enough good things to outweigh the bad. Is that how you're looking forward or how you're looking toward the day of judgment? You just hope that you've been good enough that the goodness will uh, outweigh the bad. That's the way every religion in the world looks to the end. It's all on work based on 
what they've what we've done. The gross, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only one that depends on what someone else has done for us, not upon our works. Now our works will matter at the end, but the determination of the two destinies all depend upon faith in Jesus Christ. The rest of the world is looking, hoping. We, uh, we know that it's by grace through faith. What sort of people of lives, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives, in lives of holiness and godliness? If the universe is going to end this way with an encounter of the Lord Jesus, the holy and the living God, our response to that is going to be, it matters. Uh, so we live lives of holiness and godliness waiting for the coming day of God, expecting it, looking forward to it, uh, waiting for looking forward to the day of God. And then this interesting phrase here, hastening the coming of the day of God. How is it that we can hasten the coming of the day of God? Make it come faster. Can we change the day? Can we get God to change the day? then what is he speaking to here? Um, back up at verse 8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. If the Lord is delaying because of sin, well, one of the ways is we could be obedient. We ought to be living lives of holiness, godliness. That's one th way we do our part of the calling of the Christian. That hastening the day, well, he's holding up because of sin and unbelief. Therefore, we believe. We obey. And we're doing our part. If he delays because of our sin, and so people might repent, and we that encourages us we encourage his coming by our obedience. What do we mean when we pray, when Jesus told us to pray, Lord, your kingdom come? What do you know about that? What, is, what, what kind of a prayer is that? I think there's two aspects of it, but what kind of a prayer is that? What might be, what are we praying for? Are you willing to pray, Lord, your kingdom come? 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's a sense in which the kingdom is here, not in its consummation, not in its fullest. So we're praying what? What are we what are we really praying for when we pray your kingdom come? In one sense, we're praying for judgment. Come back, Lord Jesus, the end of Revelation, right? Come, Lord Jesus. Are you uh, that's a courageous prayer, isn't it? I'm ready. Come on. I mean, there's a sense in which what James is talking about, I think we're praying for the kingdom to be alive in our lives and we live as citizens of the kingdom now, pursuing godliness and holiness. And yet, when we pray your kingdom come, come quickly, Lord Jesus, there's a sense in which we can be praying for the day to happen. Um, We ask God to intervene in a final way. Uh, and hopefully at the same time we're committing ourselves to live as subjects of the kingdom. Uh, I don't know where this comes from. A courageous prayer. This is a courageous prayer in that only those pursuing holiness would dare to wish the coming of the day of the Lord. And one final way that we might, he might be speaking of, uh, if we wish to speed his coming, then we should evangelize the world, right? Matthew twenty four fourteen. we should be witnesses. Matthew twenty four fourteen says that this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. What's our duty, or what's our responsibility in that part? Share the gospel. Uh, when the last of God's uh, people come to faith and repentance, his house will be full. Uh, Jesus told the parable. The master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. When his house is full and that last one is saved, he'll be back. He'll return. Uh, Anything, any comments, any questions, any helps there? Yes, Bruce. I think it's courageous prayer in the sense also that when he does come quickly, many of our loved ones and relatives are not going to be able to go with us. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that if you're praying for Jesus to come back quickly, there's many people you know who are not ready for that to happen. Yes. Yeah, the bride will be uh, prepared, right? Ready. Yes. Yes. Any more? Yes, Rick. A yearning. A yearning? Thy will be done. Uh huh. 
And the question is, is he reigning in your life and in your heart? Yes. Yes. He is reigning at the right hand. Okay, let's keep going. 12, we're in verse 12. Waiting for and hasting. Yes, sorry. Who? Phil, Phil. Oh, I didn't see. The, the glare was... <laughs> My glare met your glare, and I couldn't see. People that live in a glass house that shouldn't throw stones. Oh. <laughs> That's why I added myself. My question is: Did you definitively answer whether we can hasten God's coming? Um, did I definitively answer? Yeah. I definitively answered that we cannot. Change the day. The Lord has the day marked. We have a responsibility to the world to live in godliness, to live in holiness, to pray for your will be done, your kingdom come. We're commanded. I mean, that's Jesus' model for us to pray, part of the model prayer. And then we're commanded to go and share the gospel. How are they going to hear without preachers? How are they going to hear without evangelists? Uh, and so can that change the day that God has mapped from eternity? No. But that's our responsibility. Yes? Well, um, Luke 13, when Jesus is talking about what he would compare the kingdom to, he talks about the mustard seed. Yes. And the woman who takes the leaven bread. Okay, so the mustard seed and the woman with the leaven, yeah. Is that is that supposed to be evangelism spreading, or is that the kingdom? That's the kingdom spreading, yes. But how how is it that the kingdom spreads? You know, uh, we're going to be in the parable of the sower. Uh, no, 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 that's wrong. Your Bible says parable of the sower. I'm going to change it to the parable of the souls. Uh, the seed in the soils, but uh, some of the parables, their gospel, I mean, they're parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13 in particular. He lays out the, so they're about the kingdom of God and and the leaven is the spreading of, of the kingdom of God. Unless Jesus explains the parable for us, we take the context and do our best to understand what he means, right? Because what's the purpose of parables? This is a preview for Sunday. What's the purpose of parables? <laughs> to hide the truth from those who are unbelievers, right? And so if he doesn't explain it for us, we are believers. We've got the spirit who helps us discern the truth. And sometimes this idea of the kingdom, you know, we can, we can take, there's a whole bunch of their books over there talking about the parables with different ideas. And I think it's just the kingdom expanding and how is it that the kingdom turns 
a piece of dough into a loaf of bread. Um, and we sort out how it is that uh, the gospel spreads. The kingdom grows. Uh, yes, Albert. Could the perspective not be a watch pot never boils? And, uh, you know, when we're busy doing the Father's work, and when he returns on a day and an hour, we don't know. It's going to pass quickly. You know, if we're sitting around being fat and lazy and loving, you know, our, our self-delights and indulgences, all of a sudden we're not ready. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, that I, I mean, we're going to see that here in a minute. Or what does it mean to wait? He's going to help us understand what it means to wait for the day of the Lord. Um, I think about was it First John two, a couple of pages over, or maybe let's see, yeah, two twenty eight. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. There's that sense in which Christians, the, the, those who have been born of him, are living righteously, not perfectly, but on making progress in their spiritual life. We're, those who practice righteousness have been born of him. And so we don't want to be sh shrink at when he does appear. We want to be busy. I mean, you know, uh, there's no sense if we're Christians we'll be left behind, right? You got that? I mean, that's right, isn't it? If we're in Christ, we're going to be glad he returns. But you want to be about his business. Uh, I mean, you know, think about, I don't know. No, don't think about it. But you could be doing some stuff you wouldn't want to be doing at the end of the world if Jesus was to come by. Be doing what he wants. He's pursuing godliness and pursuing holiness. Right? Uh, that's a good question, uh, Aaron. And maybe we do a study on the parables and work through that. Corey, you got anything on that? Okay. Um, I don't, yeah, okay. Well, let's, let's uh, go on. We are where? Second uh, Peter 3, we're in uh, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, okay, we'll just, we can just, so we're waiting for these things, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day. Huh. Yeah. You know, you're looking forward to it. You're not sitting idle. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, notice what, it, be diligent to be found by him without spot, or blemish, or at peace. Um, so, waiting 
is not, how'd you say it, Albert, just kind of sitting around on the sofa waiting. It's not a waiting, an idle waiting. The Christian waits diligently, uh, ensuring or being diligent to be found in, by him without spot or blemish. So, uh, verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Verse 13, uh, according to the promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these. So three verses in a row, he talks about the Christian waiting for the day of judgment, the day of God. Um, what? Hoping. A living hope, a certain hope, an expectation, not the hope of the world. Yes. Oh, a hope, a hope, a hope. Mm-hmm. An active hope. That's good. So we're waiting for new heavens and the new earth. We're watching for the new heavens and the new earth. Straight out of Isaiah. Uh, 65, verse 17, I create new heavens and a new earth. God says through Isaiah, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Last chapter, 66, 22, as the new heavens and the new earth, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so, so shall your offspring and your name remain. So the new heavens and the earth that is new and and Peter kind of puts that with new on either side of it. In, in the original language, he puts new heavens and earth new. And so he bookends the newness of the world when Jesus returns, of the new world. The world perished in the flood, right? We can, we, uh, but it wasn't. Annihilated. This is the very world that was flooded. But Peter says it perished. The people perished. The uh, world perished. But it was not annihilated. It was changed. And uh, that flood that came out of, or after the flood subsided, there was a new earth in a sense because of the flood. Well, these new heavens and these new, and this new earth uh, will be the consequence of fire. There's a, a, another contemporary Christian song about a, after the fire, uh, not by flood, but I don't remember. Somebody may remember the song, but it says, used to be by, for, last time it was by flood. This time the earth will be done away with by fire. Uh, so, and, and notice what he says, the new heavens and the new earth, verse 13 in which righteousness dwells. Uh, that, that's our home as believers. Uh, because of sin, the entire creation is groaning today, right? The creation is groaning, waiting to be redeemed, waiting to be uh, delivered, uh, and eagerly waiting again, for to be set free from this fallen creation. This creation that God created good is now fallen and 
are under the shackles of sin. Um, and creation is waiting to be redeemed just as we are. God banishes sin. Uh, righteousness dwells in the new heavens and the new earth. Creation's liberated. We're liberated. Uh, and it's the creation in which righteousness dwells. So righteousness takes up uh, a residence. Righteousness is person- personified here as uh, uh, some something that is dwelling in the new heaven and the new earth, almost as if bring, Peter's bringing together heaven and earth to kind of do away with the distinction in this new world, this eternal world where there's a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, make some as one where righteousness dwells, and that will be where we're dwelling. Uh, we're waiting for these, not sitting idle, as, as uh, Warner has said. Be diligent to be found in him. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. And be diligent to fa- be found by him at peace. Uh, so the Christian life is a life of effort. We go to Ephesians 6 and see Paul depicts it as war with an enemy we can't see, but with an enemy that he has equipped us to win the battle with. Uh, and we're responsible to exert ourselves, to develop, if you will, Christian uh, virtue and Christian conduct. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2. Be diligently to be found by him without spot or blemish. Um, So the righteousness that will fill the new heavens and the new earth uh, is already in the believer's lives. Uh, It's already a characteristic of Christians or at least it is. it ought to be. And it's at work in our hearts and in our lives as we're living now. This is here without spot or blemish. In chapter 2, the false teachers had blemishes and they were spotted. They were blotted. These are just the antonyms, the opposite of the character of the false teachers in uh, chapter 2, he just put the little word A in front of the same words and describes Christians who are without a, uh, un, in English we translate it, unblemished. They're blemished, we're unblemished as Christians. And so the call is to live that way. and Jesus is our example in First Peter chapter one verse nineteen. We've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So He's calling us now by the power of the Holy Spirit 
to live like Christ, to look like Christ, be diligently to be be diligent to be found in him. Uh, he's our example. So Paul prays for us, 1 Thessalonians, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. And of course, ultimately, in our position before God, we are without spot or blemish. We're holy and blameless before him because of our salvation in our position. What, he's, what Peter's saying here is you be diligent to make what's already true of you a reality in your life. God already sees you holy and blameless. You're wearing the robe of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, if you belong to him. And he said, now act like it. Be diligent. Work hard at acting like, presenting Christ well, living to the glory of Christ. And then be diligent to be at peace. We're at peace with God, right? Romans 5.1, we're at peace. But here, the, it seems to be, we need to be experiencing in our daily lives the peace of God that passes all understanding. And if you lose that peace in this life, you never lose your peace with God once you belong to Christ. You were his enemy, you've been reconciled to him. Jesus now calls us friends. But then the peace of God that passes all understanding can be our daily experience of the peace that we already have. And in Philippians 4, is that where you're teaching tonight, Jim? 6 and 7? That's, Philippians 4 helps you know if you lose your peace, if you get all rattled on what's going on. Philippians 4, about 6, all the way down to 9 or 10. It's, it's, it's not a formula. It's spiritual discipline to experience the peace that you've already been given through your reconciliation and your redemption. Be diligent to be at peace. And, how's he? Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Um, we've talked about that a little bit. Count the slowness. So, you know, the, the false teachers are scoffing at the slowness. Paul says here, look, consider that the patience of the Lord is salvation. God's granting an extended period of grace or uh, uh Waiting for sinners to come to repentance. The parable of the prodigal son. What did the father do? He patiently waited on the front porch for his son to come to his senses, confess his sin before God, and come and be reconciled to 
the family. So, God is wait, you know, uh, in, in that sense. The, the patience of our Lord is salvation. There's a backside to that. There's a flip side to that. Uh, the sooner he comes, many will not be saved. Right? The longer he goes now, uh, I don't know who tabulates the numbers, but there's fewer and fewer percentages, percentage of Christians in the world as we go. And so the world is becoming more and more unbelieving as he's slow to return, as we count slowness. But it also is, Paul says, Paul calls it the kindness of God is because he is granting an opportunity for repentance. Do you not realize God's kindness leads you towards repentance? Here Peter says God's grace leads to salvation because of his patience. When the period of grace comes to an end, the door will be shut again, and the day of the Lord will be here. It will come. Uh, and he says, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, Paul, Paul uh, I think he was writing to the Corinthians where he claims that, or says that God gave him this uh, gift of wisdom. Uh, and Peter talks about his beloved brother, Paul. Uh, good friends? Yeah. Um, First Corinthians. Uh, Paul mentions Peter a number of times. Paul visited Peter before and after his first missionary journey. Um, the second time, the after was the Jerusalem Council. Uh, spent time there in Acts 15. He also had to confront Peter very sternly for his hypocrisy, acquiescing to the Jews and separating from the Gentiles in Antioch when the Jews came up. And yet and still, Peter's not holding a grudge. Peter calls him a beloved brother who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, of these matters of the end of the world uh, in verse uh, 16 there are some things in them that are hard to understand you have a hard time understanding Paul sometimes <laughs> yeah in particular according to these things yeah 
Well, you're in good company. Peter did too. He had a hard time understanding him. But which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction. The deep things that Paul talks about, the ignorant and the unstable, could take them and twist them into perversion and it leads to their own destruction. That's what chapter 2 was about, right? The ignorant, thinking they're smarter than the rest of us, are ignorantly sending themselves to destruction. And then if you follow them, you'll be led into destruction right behind them. As they do the other scriptures. Peter knows already that Paul's letters are scripture. Peter affirms Paul's writings as scripture. As they do the other scriptures. They twist Paul's writings and they twist the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, verse 17, knowing this beforehand, take care. So he goes back to these false teachers. Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. They're unstable. If you follow them, you'll become unstable along with them. So reject their error. You know this. I've been reminding you. I've been teaching you. You know this ahead of time. They're unstable. Don't lose your own stability. And then he closes, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in the knowledge, in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we got it all there of who Jesus is. And then he declares, give him the glory. To him be the glory. A doxology to Christ himself. But he's Lord, God, Savior, Redeemer, Jesus, man, Christ, fulfillment of all that was promised to come. Peter gives a full uh, a doctrine, if you will, just in four words of who Jesus is. And that's the end of Second Peter. The floor is open. Okay. In verse 15, uh, it recounts the patience of our Lord of salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you. Yeah. We do not. You do not. Uh, we do not. Hebrews doesn't work in chapter 2 for Paul. I wish it did. Yes, sir. Without getting terribly grammatical here. Well, you got Corey over there. Yeah, I'm wondering, I think I'm seeing almost a parallelism, but almost a progressive parallelism. And by that, I mean in, in verse 11, what sort of people ought you be, therefore, in 14, since you're awaiting? And I, I'm seeing a relationship between hastening and being diligent to be found, a relationship between the righteousness, uh, holiness, godliness, and 11, righteousness, and 13, 
and then without spot or blemish. So without spot or blemish, may it relate to righteousness, holiness, and godliness. Is that almost a progression where he's saying, <clears throat> what should you be? You should be live lives of holiness and righteousness, being patiently waiting to hasten. How do we hasten? By being diligent to be found without spot or blemish. Is there a progression there, perhaps? Maybe. In his thought? Yeah. Because he, he is Jewish. He's going to have some of that mindset. We typically don't see those parallels in the in the New Testament like we did in the Old. But this may be the way he's thinking. Yeah, it's hard to get behind some of that, you know. It, it, it's, um, it is. Uh, you, see the, you see patterns. Of course, he, there's patterns in his logic. These epistles are logical letters, the progressions of thought. I, uh, maybe, maybe. He's just progressing into godliness uh, or into this pursuit. Yeah. Any, anything else? Okay. Well, um, remember the Smith family. Andrew and Mackenzie are marrying tomorrow. Uh, remember the Tyndall family and the Borjas family. Uh, all of them as uh, will have the memorial service or the funeral, if you will, for uh, Alejandro Borja. What's his middle name? There was none. Alejandro Borjas III. Baby Alex. That will be Friday a Saturday. Serrano brunch is Saturday. It's been a busy week. And we're not done yet. Anybody else? Father, we thank you. As we think about our introduction to Peter, <clears throat> as Jesus calls him uh, from the shores of <clears throat> Galilee, he drops his profession and follows Christ, always speaking up. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Understanding and then completely misunderstanding. Lord, as you uh, conformed him to the image of Jesus whom he followed, and he began to be as he's filled with the Spirit, the, the premier apostle, if you will, of the church in Jerusalem as he preached on Pentecost. With John, he continued and through the persecution, taking the gospel to the Samaritans, to Cornelius, Lord, as you continue to refine him, we've studied through his two letters and we see the, uh, the glory of Christ in his writings, knowing that as he closes this uh, letter, 
It's the last thing we have that you preserved that he wrote. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory as he persevered to the end because you kept him in the faith. We thank you for the hope that gives us as we uh, journey toward the end of our lives, as we journey through this uh, Christian life, that, Lord, we're not what we should be. We've been called by Peter what we ought to be. But, Lord, you've changed us. We're not what we used to be. And we look forward to the day we will see our Savior face to face and we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. Father, thank you for the hope that we have, that certainty, that expectation of being glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.